Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, musicians, artists, you name it, all around the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, today I have an amazing guest. Um, I could go down a list of all the accomplishments and things he started, but um, I'm going to do this and, and keep it brief. He's the co-founder of Block. He is the company owner at Next Cipher. He is a founder at Dunvenigim Space Systems, Inc. His name is Jeff Garzik. He's been around in crypto and blockchain for a long time. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Jamil. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You're very welcome. Very welcome. Uh, it's an honor. Um, so first question to kick things off is this. Um, what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? <laughs> I'd like to think I uh, always have a, a very, very logical background being a logical thinker. Uh, so uh, uh, um, a micro capsule that uh, I hope you'll forgive me starts at the age of eight, but I started programming at the age of eight. Um, I uh, have a have made a career of kind of being early. I was on the Internet in the late 80s before. Uh, you know, before the web, before everyone else found the internet, uh, back in the the dial-up era, the you know era of internet, uh, I was uh, early into Linux and uh, was fortunate enough to work for ten years under uh, Linus Torvalds at the the core of the Linux system, the Linux kernel, and uh, really uh, honed my uh, software engineering uh, skills there with. Uh, uh, surrounded by some of the world's greatest developers, uh, you just learned so much from uh, so many great minds uh, over at Linux. And then uh, lightning struck again. I found Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of Bitcoin, in uh, July of 2010. And uh, using my Linux skills, I quickly became one of the most uh, prolific early Bitcoin core developers. And uh, that kicked off what we now know as the the whole blockchain revolution, crypto revolution, whatever you want to call it, uh, spawned uh, many uh, competitors and clones and evolutions. And uh, I saw the, the birth of Ethereum. I saw the ICO craze go up and down, the NFT craze go up and down, the DeFi summer. Uh, so uh, I've, I've seen multiple market cycles. Uh, and uh, that's that's kind of brought me to where I am today, which is uh, moved over from building software to uh, building company, uh, building companies, building economic systems as a uh, uh, not as I don't like serial entrepreneur. I like uh, maybe multiple entrepreneur, parallel entrepreneur. Uh, I wear uh, uh, many hats uh, these days. Awesome. And we'll talk about some of those entrepreneurial opportunities, but let's um, let's start with um, Next Cypher, right? What is that all about and how do you empower communities? Absolutely. Uh, Next Cypher is really the marriage of uh, sort of Web 2 old style uh, entertainment, uh, movie making, uh, making of TV shows. It's a uh, uh, video production studio. Uh, but it has the critical component of Web3. Uh, so how does how does that empower communities? How does that uh, you know change filmmaking, movie making, etc.? 
is uh, I argue that it really gets the fans involved in uh, what I love, science fiction, uh, at an earlier stage in the production, gets uh, the fans involved in our uh, productions uh, as we're developing the characters, as we're uh, moving into pre-production and then uh, starting uh, to film, et cetera. We'll be able to give fans uh, inside looks at uh, uh, the the costumes, the props, the the actors as they're being filmed, and then uh, on to post production and uh, hopefully streaming and distribution. The fans uh, again will be able to have first looks. They'll be able to uh, see their input in the earlier stages of these productions. Hey, I I voted for that costume to be red instead of blue. Hey, I voted for that. That to be a, a laser ray gun rather than a uh, you know a slingshot in the hero's hands, those sort of things. Uh, fans will really have deeper input in at more points in the production cycle, and I think that'll have more invested fans, a more invested community, and uh, putting on my business hat for a second, we can uh, turn around and uh, talk to the the people who buy shows your Netflix, your uh, Amazon, uh, your NBC, ABC, CVS, Universals, and say, look, we have a provable fan base. And that's something that uh, is a bit of a, a, a mishmash of crypto and business term. Uh, but uh, our competition, to contrast quickly, is going to the show buyers with a uh, screenplay in hand and saying, please finance and produce our production. We're going to those same show buyers saying, we have fans, here's proof. We have engagement, here's proof. And that de-risks the show buying process for them and makes it, at the end of the day, more likely that our shows get produced, streamed, and uh, generate real revenue. So uh, that's, that's a bit of a, an inside baseball uh, peak, but uh, we really think very deeply uh, and strategically on the business side as to how crypto will empower the community side. So, uh, you know, ideally it's, it's uh, your, your hopeful win-win uh, type situation where the fans get great products, the fans get involvement earlier in the cycle, have a real impact on production and story, storyline, characters, and on the business side, we get uh, all the way to streaming. Um, so it's the, you know, we feel it, it produces better shows. It's more likely to produce better shows. And it's all about a game of business probability as I, I wear my startup CEO hat at the end of the day. So I, th I, I think, I hope, I believe that the community really does benefit from that type of approach. I get back to the community, but I, I want to start with the, I want to start with Hollywood and then, and then come down further. But Hollywood, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, maybe your opinion too, Hollywood needs a reboot, right? Um, Absolutely. In many ways. How can we achieve that with Web3 and give everyone the chance, you know, for an Oscar? Uh, you, you said it. It's Web3, crypto blockchain is at its core about decentralization about 
flattening the uh, the hierarchies and the oligarchies and uh, increasing inclusiveness, increasing access for uh, maybe a, a budding filmmaker who's not in L.A. and doesn't have access to Hollywood networks that uh, their production can bubble up if it's got the quality. You know, that was ultimately the promise of the Internet itself was that uh, you know everyone's kind of equal from an access standpoint. If you're on the internet, then you can uh, you know write the be the next Ernest Hemingway and write the next great novel, and the internet will provide that uplift, access, distribution, uh, et cetera. And uh, I argue that Hollywood hasn't seen that yet, and that's that's kind of why it needs a reboot is. It needs that increase in access for, uh, you know, budding filmmakers, budding film producers, so that uh, it's really a competition on story. It's really a competition on quality. It's really a competition on content, character, uh, universe, uh, all the things that matter to us as, uh, you know, people who uh, watch shows, people who read books, people who read graphic novels. And uh, there, there's you know billions of, of potential content creators on the planet, and yet uh, it's just so concentrated into to L.A. a little bit in you know New York, a little bit in uh, Bollywood, and some of the other international areas uh, that are that are really exciting. And uh, but the internet promises that peer-to-peer -peer decentralized, uh, equal access, open access as a default type of approach. And we think that's the right approach. I come from, you know, again, uh, you know, two decades in open source where the default assumption when you enter these open source communities is open access. The default assumption when you enter these communities is kind of a flat hierarchy where there aren't priests in a high tower that uh, bless, you know, one out of a million uh, based on their, their kind of cigar chomping old boys club uh, gatekeeping. And so uh, open source is about uh, smashing gatekeepers, decentralization, peer-to-peer, uh, -peer. Uh, cryptocurrency is about smashing gatekeepers and or uh, you know creating your own gate in a, a new uh, place somewhere else and ask, you know competing for uh, people to come to your platform rather than the legacy Hollywood platform. So there, there's a lot of uh, sort of open access, open source, uh, transparency, uh, egalitarianism, uh, I think uh, going on in the crypto community is very positive, very inclusive. And uh, that's that's a long-winded way to, to sum up the reboot Hollywood, I think. Yeah, I wanna go into that a little further. I spent, now I'm dating myself, but I spent, most of the mid 1990s going to the independent art house film you know theaters because i had the dream then of being a, a producer of small independent art house films right and then the ritz it was the ritz in new jersey but the ritz in philadelphia too they got rid of those theaters and they got rid of a lot of the independent ones and the only theaters the only movies that are left going to, to the box office now are the blockbuster ones right so What's the path forward for for the independent filmmakers? I know it's decentralization, but what's the what's the path that can like the venue that that they can build that will compete with these you know monoliths? 
Yeah, I think it's there. There's there's kind of two answers to that question, uh, broadly speaking. One is uh, the getting in the door part, which is uh, getting your production financed. Um, as uh, 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 one of my favorite movies uh, harkens back to uh, my dad's days in aerospace, uh, the right stuff. And one of the taglines from the movie, the right stuff is no bucks, no Buck Rogers. Meaning that uh, if there was, you know, no NASA funding, then uh, there's going to be no rockets, no uh, moon program, et cetera. And the same applies to Hollywood productions as well. No bucks, no Buck Rogers. And so uh, independent producers, independent filmmakers, uh, they're at a disadvantage when it comes to getting their own productions financed. And then uh, uh, jumping over to the other bucket for a second, independent uh, producers and filmmakers are also disadvantaged on the distribution side, meaning streaming platforms, uh, you know, movie theaters, if they're filmmakers, it's just hard to uh, get your production into that, into one of those catalogs, say into the Netflix catalog or somewhere where uh, you'll start uh, getting a, a streaming, streaming paycheck for uh, streaming videos. Because uh, at the end of the day, you got to, you know, you got to make a profit or you're not in business. Uh, you're not going to make that second production if you uh, don't make a profit on the first production. Uh, just business 101. And uh, so those are the two key challenges is uh, production financing and production distribution. And I think they have different answers. I think uh, streaming platforms is an easier uh, the second uh, challenge is an easier challenge to tackle. Um, Web3 enables, I think, uh, competing platforms to uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, et cetera. I'm already aware of uh, two or three startups, <clears throat> excuse me, that are going to uh, uh, attempt to compete and they're uh, offering various tokenomics and other incentives to try and pull uh, independent uh, filmmakers to stream their content on these new and upcoming platforms. So there's a, you know, a diff additional distribution access points, uh, which is a, a very positive solution there. And then uh, on the production financing side, that's, uh, that's always the challenge. These, uh, you know, TV shows, uh, say a 10 episode uh, season might cost $20 million. And no matter how much, you know, you tokenize that or whatever, it's still an incredible mountain to climb to get $20 million either approved through the Hollywood system or uh, raised through a uh, new cryptocurrency type system. And uh, I think that's the bigger challenge. And there are always going to be more people with scripts to produce than there is money to produce them. So how, you know, I, I look at economics from a 50,000 foot macroeconomic view. How do you solve that problem is you have uh, more producers of content than you have uh, financing. And again, I think uh, unsurprisingly, uh, Web3 uh, potentially offers an answer there as well. So uh, there's, uh, you know, those are the two key challenges that uh, independent producers, I think, have is, is access to money and access to distribution, and Web3 can address both. Sounds good to me. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about 
technicalities then. Um, let's shift to, to block, right? Um, what is block all about and what breakthroughs were made possible in further innovation of blockchain applications because of block? Sure, block is uh, a, uh, uh, a blockchain infrastructure company that's uh, uh, been around since 2016. So uh, we've been around the block several times. Um, in uh, the past, uh, among other things, Block built Fidelity's first Bitcoin wallet, Fidelity being a very large uh, asset management company based in Boston, Massachusetts, here in the States. And uh, we primarily would engage the Fortune 50 uh, with uh, a, uh, either a blockchain strategy on the consulting side or uh, blockchain infrastructure, meaning uh, if, if you're a nerd and know what these things are, providing uh, nodes, validators, and wallets uh, for uh, public and private blockchain networks. Uh, we, uh, in the past, kind of rode the private blockchain wave up and then right back down. Uh, but our heart has uh, always been in public blockchains, i.e. Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, networks like that where uh, you really have a, a fully decentralized referee as a first class player in the room, that being the, the Bitcoin consensus or the Ethereum consensus. And so uh, pretty much exclusively these days, we focus on uh, public blockchain infrastructure. You know, ETH staking nodes is an example. Uh, we uh, provide uh, validators at uh, various uh, cloud providers, uh, often for uh, many of the the foundations and projects that uh, such a, an example being Algorand that uh, need validators and infrastructure provided to their communities. So, uh, you know, if you're spinning up a new L1 or an L2, uh, you probably need uh, uh, bulletproof infrastructure for both yourself and to provide to your community. So it's uh, a little bit more on the the enterprisey enterprise sales side of things, but uh, we feel that it uh, provides very valuable underpinnings. Uh, back from my uh, Linux kernel days, uh, we uh, called ourselves plumbers because uh, we often dealt with uh, stuff under the hood that ideally your average consumer should never have to care about. It's just invisible working in the background and uh, you know you're able to send your blockchain transactions, receive your blockchain transactions, and just not think about the experience because it's so seamless. Yeah, plumbing. I, I'm doing construction in my house, and when they when they open up the wall, we had, there's lots of pipes that I had no idea they were there. Right, <laughs> so I'm like, what do we do with that? They're pretty good. So. <laughs> you know. Um, you guys have been have like you said you focused on DeFi infrastructure, mining, staking, all that. You said next, but next on your list of things to do or address is communities and storytelling, right? So there's obviously some key lessons you bring from the infrastructure space to the storytelling space. What are these lessons, and what can the industry learn from your successes? Yeah, I actually truncated the block story a little bit. Uh, apologies to you and your listeners. The uh, in, in addition to infrastructure, we also uh, own several uh, spin outs, including uh, 
as you just uh, listed, uh, mining, staking, uh, metaverse, uh, uh, 2D5 projects, and it's it's really morphing into kind of uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway of, uh, you know, kind of a big house with uh, several projects inside. Uh, and that that's that's fundamentally, uh, I think, a reflection on uh, my personality. I can't build just one thing. I bursting with ideas and and the urgency to to build this amazing thing and this amazing thing. And fortunately, we have the the teams and business models and uh, uh, situation to uh, permit following some of those uh, really strong and promising threads. So uh, that, but that's block and uh, absolutely uh, storytelling and entertainment uh, has always been uh, literally at the, the top of my mind my entire life. Uh, I've been a science fiction fan my entire life. I, I love, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Star Wars guy. I'm married to a, a Star Trek girl. So we're a very uh, nerdy household uh, in general. Um, and one of the, uh, one of the, and this is relevant to cryptocurrency. One of my, in the mid nineties, uh, favorite book series, uh, to read was based on a tabletop game called shadow run. Uh, it's kind of like dungeons and dragons, but it's cyberpunk. It's set in the future. So, uh, but, uh, then there, there was a novelization of it. That's where I discovered it. And in one of these series, Again, this is mid-90s, so uh, uh, many, many years ago, they described some characters in this uh, fictional setting transacting in what we would call cryptocurrency. One character met another character in a cafe. Uh, they handed them what we would call a flash drive, and that was transferring a million dollars. And to me, as a, a teenager reading this novel, I was just blown away. You could hand somebody a tiny object the size of a flash drive, and you just transferred a million dollars from your account to their account. And that, that, that really was a, a cornerstone in my mind. And I knew, uh, I put, I, you know, kind of, kind of inventing the term later, I uh, put a mental bookmark uh, about that situation in my head. And then 15 to 20 years later, in July of 2010, when I saw a post on slash.org about news for nerds, about Bitcoin, the decentralized currency, I knew to pause, drop everything, and immediately dive into the source code. I knew that uh, this was going to be something world-changing, if indeed uh, it lived up to its headline and its hype, because I read this science fiction novel you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And so uh, I keep running into these science fiction stories again and again, both in uh, crypto, in finance, uh, in aerospace, uh, with Space Chain and uh, other industry peers. We're all inspired by uh, science fiction, I think in part because, uh, at, you know, contrary to other fiction, it's very forward-looking, it's very pro-positive, it uh, thinks, how would this, uh, you know, how would the future be interesting and amazing and uh, change in a, a really cool way? And people write stories about that. And then we as engineers, uh, we consume that and we build the future. And so science fiction is not just fiction, but maybe a preview 
of science fact. And that's that's kind of been a theme of my life. I'm I'm almost 50 years old. And uh, the past 10 years, I, I have so many mental bookmarks telling myself, man, that's science fiction becoming science fact. Man, that's science fiction becoming science fact. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's an amazing world we live in, but we science fiction readers kind of had a preview of the future already. And so uh, I think you're better prepared for the future. Uh, you're more future positive. You know how to uh, react when something like, uh, as we record this, AI is uh, stirring up people all over the world. And so I think that uh, uh, to create science fiction, just to kind of wrap up the answer to your question, it, that's what really inspired Next Cipher was uh, to give back to the community, to uh, create some some uh, you know future thoughtful, future positive type content that inspires the next generation of engineers because that's what inspired me to to engineer for uh, the past twenty plus years, and I think that uh, now is the best point to create a fusion of uh, crypto and engineering and entertainment and storytelling and all of the things in my background uh, kind of came together with Next Cipher. Awesome. And you you mentioned science uh, science fiction becoming science fact, and you mentioned space chain. So let's talk about that. You know, we talked about before before the podcast that I did interview Zizang about a year and a half ago, early in 2022, um, and um, you were a founding member there. Um, and that was great to, to learn. And since then, Space Chain has launched a second Velus payload in the space station um, from the time I talked to him. So how that has that experience been? And what were you able to accomplish? And have you been hold, held true to Space Chain's mission? Honestly, it's been absolutely amazing. It's It's been a dream come true for us. Myself as a, a fan of space, when I again, uh, it all it all starts when I was young. My dad would take me to space shuttle launches in Cape Canaveral, Florida, when I was a kid, and that that was just so amazing. Uh, I would read science fiction, I would watch it on TV, and then I could uh, drive with my family to a literal rocket launch where you know men were going to space. That uh, really captured the imagination stuck with me and as uh time marched forward we saw the advent of cloud computing uh, my career at linux was very much the career of the or or the situation where the world was figuring out hey we could string together millions of super cheap pcs into a thing called cloud and i wanted to mirror the same thing in space that was the the foundation of uh, Space Chain many years later was uh, why in the, this would be uh, early 2000s, uh, 2002, 2005, uh, I wanted to mirror what was going on uh, while I was working in cloud computing at uh, Red Hat on Linux uh, in space. I could see that uh, if there was going to be these amazing space stations in space, if there were going to be uh, space settlement or uh, if, as uh, 
I think, uh, you know, Elon Musk rightly points out uh, humanity needs a backup plan. As an engineer, that really resonates with me. You know, I like backup plans. Uh, it makes sense to have a backup plan. And uh, if uh, a backup plan is, uh, you know, a habitable non-Earth location, then, uh, you know, human settlements on other planets, asteroids, uh, moons, then we're going to need data. We're going to need electronics. We're going to need communication. We're going to need networks. And uh, that harkened back again to my experience with Linux where I was networking together cheap PCs in the early 2000s, and that mirrored in space networking together cheap satellites and the entire CubeSat revolution. A CubeSat, uh, for listeners that don't know, is a uh, very small satellite, uh, as small as 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. That's a one U or one unit satellite. And uh, these were uh, changing the economics of space, along with Elon Musk's uh, uh, SpaceX company. Uh, Elon Musk does not get enough credit for uh, giving humanity access to space. Before Elon, uh, there would be a you know, one or two rocket launches per year uh, from massive government contractors, and these would cost a billion dollars. And, you know, that's that's real money. That's not an exaggeration. And only governments could afford to do that with uh, what Elon did was he brought down the cost of access to space for everyone, not just big governments. And so it became possible for startups such as Space Chain to spend as little as two hundred thousand dollars to get our hardware into space. And whereas before you'd have to be an Iridium or another large satellite manufacturer spending hundreds of millions of dollars to get your hardware into space. And so when you have economic shifts like that, where the cost comes down, not just half, but one one thousandth of the cost 10 years ago, that makes so many more businesses possible. It, uh, you know, as uh, quoting Peter Thiel, uh, it, it creates a zero to one type situation where uh, prior to Elon, startups just, it wasn't possible for a startup to access space. There, you just can't go into a room of investors and say, I've, uh, you know, I'm starting this brand new startup, give me $100 million. That just doesn't work unless, you know, uh, you know one, in, one in a billion people. But for a startup to say, I need a couple hundred thousand dollars to send a satellite to space, all of a sudden you can have dozens, hundreds, thousands of startups doing that because it's economically feasible for so many. And so this is uh, what's leading the, uh, the, the space revolution is this macroeconomic change, this uh, drastic exponential reduction in cost to go to space and that was those were the two uh inputs into space chain macroeconomics uh suddenly made it viable and the the vision that you're absolutely going to need nodes in space and uh, speaking very very generally whether that's uh a, just a, a relay node for uh you know web 2 communications or we're talking crypto and a blockchain 
as uh, people move out into space. Uh, you'll, I argue, as a, a crypto positive guy, a crypto fan, uh, you'll need uh, economic networks and blockchain and blockchain nodes automatically provide that out in space. Um, so those those were some of the founding ideas in uh, 2014, 2015, when Space Chain was started. Actually, excuse me, 2013, when the idea was originally germinated. And from there, we've managed to launch almost a satellite a year, which is unheard of in the entire space industry. I'm not talking about crypto, the entire space startup industry. Very few startups ever get to space. And we get there almost once a year. So that's that's just simply uh, a, a class unto itself in terms of uh, space startups. And so I'm incredibly uh, uh, humbled, humbled, honored, and blessed uh, to have been a CTO at Space Chain and uh, been part of Space Chain's journey. Um, ultimately, uh, I think the, uh, the journey, though, uh, is about multiple jurisdictions, multiple owners, and multiple satellites participating in a single network. That's just how the internet was built. And that's how we feel uh, space and space telecommunications uh, is uh, evolving. And we want, you know, again, the, the blockchain ethos, that decentralized peer-to-peer -peer, egalitarian open access uh, type ethos to continue out into space. So I mean, I guess as an as a counter attack vector, you know, or defense vector against oppressive government regimes and rogue agencies that are overstepping their mandates. Ultimately, ultimately, absolutely, is uh, the you know the most exciting thing for me personally is uh, is there going to be a jurisdiction on Mars that's totally unique. Yeah, or is it going to be kind of a uh, a flag? Here, here's the United States jurisdiction. Here's the the uh, Russian jurisdiction. Here's the Chinese jurisdiction. All on Mars. I think that's suboptimal. Uh, I think that'll be uh, you know a, a probably a first step because you know naturally there there's no natural constituency on an empty planet. Uh, but uh, the the possibilities for uh, giving people a chance to pick a new jurisdiction because they don't like the oppressive regime that they're under, uh, as uh, or as uh, Balaji Srinivasan calls it, exit, the ability to exit, the right to exit. That absolutely includes space. That absolutely includes uh, putting some assets, we argue, in space. Uh, one of the, the specific businesses that Space Chain offers is uh, known as a third key solution, meaning that there is a key that is only on the satellite. And you have to uh, go, you know, physically uh, fly up into space and uh, crack that satellite open uh, to uh, access that key, making it far more difficult than any solution on Earth. And so some of our uh, customers uh, here on Earth uh, find that service uh, very valuable. Um, and I think that solutions like that will be early entrance into the space business economy 
as people get plugged into this network. But ultimately, there'll be a internet-like space internet. There'll be an economic component. You'll need to transact payments. And you won't want to, if you're, if you're in space and your uh, customer is also in space, you don't want to send the payment back to Earth and then back to space again. You just want to go directly from customer to customer. A lot of sense to me. Um, so, yeah, I see you definitely as a futurist. <laughs> so, uh, so am I. Um, so, with so many, you know, from the antiquated traditional mindset against crypto, right? Uh, blockchain and Web3, so many against it, you know, but the, some in favor of it, of course. How do we work together, right, to achieve a decentralized future and the promise of a shared mission? to build a better world than what we have today well uh, you know that that trends towards philosophy right ultimately i'm a humanist first and so trying to reason from first principles uh i don't start with a uh, crypto is automatically good position i start with a pro-human position will x or y or z benefit humanity what are the intended and unintended consequence of x or y or z speaking very generally and so i think that uh in that perspective i often describe crypto as a, a yin and yang balance with uh fiat uh, some of the the crypto proponents will definitely disagree with me here but uh i i you know philosophically i believe in balance counterbalance and uh, I think that an all fiat system would be incredibly oppressive. And uh, crypto provides a counterbalance to that. Crypto will provide a, you know, an added freedom for users and for the world at large, uh, you know, just simply existing. And so this, this might be a little bit of a, a strange concept, but I argue that you don't have to hold crypto to benefit from crypto's existence. Because if you think about the free market and free market principles and Darwinian free market competition, uh, simply ex by simply existing and being what it is as crypto, fiat, fiat has to compete harder. It has to work harder. It has to provide more freedom. It has to, uh, you know, be more transparent. And, uh, you know, as people... Uh, you know, talk about its flaws and, you know, move over to crypto in, in some uh, portion of their portfolio. Uh, that conversation uh, goes back and forth, obviously. But if you take, as I do, the 50-year view, the 100-year view, the, the very long-term view, ultimately, uh, you know, the question is, does humanity benefit at the end of the day? And I think it does uh, because of that competitive element. Uh, because of that uh, ability to, uh, if uh, fiat, I, I call Bitcoin, I don't believe it's an inflation hedge, but I do call it hyperinflation insurance in that if uh, the fiat system just starts printing money left and right, then there's an alternative sitting right there readily available. So again, that's that's very much the yin and yang element, the counterbalance element. Um, you know, being an American, I'm very, uh, very much indoctrinated in the checks and balances 
uh, allegedly of our uh, judicial uh, executive and legislative branches uh, being co-equal branches of government. And that was set up as a check and balance between each other so that one institution hopefully would not get too powerful. And so crypto similarly is a check and balance in uh, uh, fiat. So I think it's it's ultimately, uh, you know, net win for humanity. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it's incumbent upon us as folks in the crypto industry to build software that pays attention to that human element. I, uh, I still argue to this day, as I've argued since the year 2010, that uh, the crypto user experience is uh, still rough for the average unsophisticated uh, user, the, the non-IT expert type of person, and that's got to improve. We need better guardrails. We need better user safety. We need a better user experience. And that's all, again, in service of that uh, uh, pro-human, uh, humanist type uh, philosophy. So we've got to do better at the same time. Um, so there, there's, uh, uh, <laughs> this is why I describe crypto as gunpowder sometimes, is uh, that there, there are good things, amazing things that uh, crypto can uh, bring about, uh, but you can also blow your hand off uh, with this uh, brand new technology. So we're kind of in the, uh, we just invented gunpowder phase and we're figuring out how to hand, handle it safely. And uh, that's that's crypto. And that's why uh, even to this day, 12 plus years later, I still tell people uh, from a, a traditional finance standpoint, the 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 grand the the granddaddy Garzik PSA is, uh, you know, don't go into debt to buy crypto. Don't make it a massive portion of your assets that just, in, you know, increases volatility risk that just increases so many risks uh, that you don't need. So, uh, you know, be careful and, uh, you know, don't dive in the deep end uh, immediately. I love the gunpowder analogy. I've self-shot myself a few times. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I love talking to you. This has been a wonderful conversation and um, I got to wrap it up. But before I do, I want to ask you one final question, and it's this. How can people find out more information about you, about your companies, about what you do, um, any of that? Sure. Um, you can go to block.com, B-L-O-Q.com uh, for block, uh, spacechain.com, or uh, for the entertainment, nextcypher, C-Y-P-H-E-R.com. Uh, we're on uh, the usual socials, uh, primarily Twitter, uh, at uh, NextCypher Pro for NextCypher, at Block Inc. Or uh, you can follow me personally. I'm uh, pretty uh, prolific on uh, Twitter, at Jay Garzik, uh, though I, I do warn your audience members that I'm also very high volume and opinionated. As am I. Um, this <laughs> Thank, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me.